Did you ever wake up and say I was born for more? Well, the answer is yes, you are. We live in a world where we're faced with everyday challenges. This podcast is created for you, the listener, to hear a story of captivation and motivation to bring you to your fullest potential. We welcome you to be a part of this transformation. I am your host, Melissa Alves, but my friends call me Melly with the power within where together we can discover your greatest purpose. Hello, hello. I would like to welcome Tuan Nguyen. He is from Texas. He is our transformational coach, and he has an amazing story from prison to purpose. Welcome, welcome, Tuan. Hey, what's going on, Melissa? Hey, thanks for having me. How's everybody doing out there in the world of the power within? We are doing phenomenal. We cannot wait to have our listeners know the transformation that has occurred in your life. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm fired up. Come on, somebody. That's my favorite tagline right there. I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's crazy because I'm just going to jump in right now because someone once called me, Tuan, you're like instant offense. And I said, hmm, instant offense? Yeah, he, they're like, you, you can just get in the game and, it, I mean, you could just literally just light up the stage because of your energy. And I was like, okay, instant offense. So, yeah, so I'm also instant offense to everybody that's listening right now because I can light up the stage and put me behind the mic and I'll go off. Awesome. <laughs> Hashtag instant offense. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right. Well, Tuan, tell us a little bit of uh, your backstory and where you come from. So I've actually crafted kind of like a, a three-minute signature speech as kind of like my introduction. So let me allow me to practice right now upon the power within Certainly. Audience, okay. The floor is yours. Uh, okay. So go ahead and put the time on, three minutes. Uh, so my story is, is just kind of like, it, it's simple. You know, um, I love... Um, I love painting the scene from the movie Alice in Wonderland. And so in this particular scene, she's seen walking on this deserted path and she runs into a fork in the road. And in that fork in the road, there is where she has this divine encounter with the Cheshire cat. Okay. And then she asked the cat, Hey, which road should I take? And the cat says, well, where are you going? And she responds in a rather hesitant voice. She says, well, I, I really don't know. And the cat said, well, I guess it really doesn't matter then. You see, the reason why I like telling this story, Melissa, is because growing up in this very high-performance, Asian-driven culture where success is measured by education and the amount of money you make, like maybe being a doctor or something like that, um, I thought I was supposed to be a doctor growing up or something like that because that's all I saw. That's all that was instilled in me as a child was education and success. And one thing that I used to always hear was, Tuan, you have great potential, great potential, great potential. It was like a broken record that was just blasted on repeat over and over. And I loved hearing that. But the sad reality was I had no idea what my potential looked like and no one else did around me either. So moving on along with this story, in my search for this hidden potential, that I so-called had, and I believed I did, I thought I could be whatever I wanted to be. And the reality was I could only be me. So in this pursuit of becoming all things to everybody, 
I joined a gang. <laughs> yeah. Got involved with a gang. Started stealing and robbing. Got involved with drugs. I was addicted to drugs. Um, I started selling drugs. And so instead of becoming the so-called doctor in our Asian society, I became a street pharmacist. So yeah, I sold drugs on the streets. Uh, as, as my means of, of finding a place of value and significance. And this ultimately led me down this dark path of addiction, addiction to incarceration. I got out of prison, went back to addiction again, and then went back to incarceration. And if you were to ask me today, why did you constantly go back? And all I can say to you now, just in retrospect, was I wanted to be discovered by the world but I wasn't willing to be developed. You see, deep down inside, I had this hunger. I wanted the world to need me. I wanted, I wanted to be successful, but I didn't know what that looked like. And so I went searching in all these different avenues, trying to find that place of significance and value. And that's where really through these dark places in my life, through the valley, I like saying, when God puts you in your lowest point in the valley, when I was in prison for these 10 years, that's where I started getting a vision for my life. But prior to that, since I didn't have a plan for my life or a vision for my life or even a dream, it was so easy for me to fall under the plans or chase after someone else's dreams. And I never realized that everything was right here. It was inside me. It was inside me. I mean, your podcast is based on the power within you, right? Unleashing the power within you. Like I spent... 30 something years of my life, never looking inward, but looking outward for the validation. I was looking for someone to, to lay hands on me and give me this prophetic word of what I could be or what I was supposed to be. But the whole time, the power was within me. And I was never taught to look within. I was always taught to look outward. So I ended up decorating myself with outward things, shiny objects, nice cars. I thought money was a way of success and value. And so... I mean, that's just kind of like just the, just the tipping point of, of my, my backstory. And I'll go ahead and go on a little bit further once you ask me more questions. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. Right. Wow. A lot to swallow in three minutes. That's just intense right there. I got, right. little, I got pins and needles all over the place here <laughs> um, because you're so right. You're so right. Uh, so you mentioned that you were a street pharmacist at one point, right? Right. <laughs> and um, how old were you when that happened? I started selling drugs when I was roughly around 16. You know, that's when I started dipping and dabbing with it because simply like it was all about influence. Leadership, everything rises and falls on leadership. As a young child, Melissa, I had the greatest parents in the world. I didn't have a model of leadership because in our culture, like my parents were always at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was always at work putting food on the table. Our typical conversation on a daily basis probably consisted of maybe like 38 seconds, 12 seconds in the morning before I went to school, 12 seconds on the phone asking me if I was hungry before he came home. And by the time he got home, it would be another 12 seconds on just telling me to go to bed. Have you done your homework? And that was it. So in there, there was no really model of leadership for me because my dad was always a provider. Mm -hmm. because he wanted me to have the things that he didn't have. But since he was never developed into becoming a leader, he would never be able to transfer that to me. Right. And so you see how easy it was for me to kind of just go searching 
for this you, model of leadership. You were filling that gap somewhere, and you right. found it, and you found it in the streets. Right. I didn't have a big brother, so I, and, you know, unconsciously, what I was doing was I was looking for influence. You know? Right. So now, um, how long were you in the streets um, doing this? And um, and because you also mentioned that you ended up doing doing drugs besides that. Right. So I started dipping and dabbing with drugs maybe when I was like 14, 15. Started selling drugs when I was like 16, 17. That's when I first started started seeing the power of, of what drugs and money could do. And um, I remember being the life of the party, okay? And not only that, my personality is very geared towards affirmation and acceptance so imagine me being a people pleaser uh by nature right where i'm seek i, I like using the word i was an affirmation junkie okay <laughs> explain that an affirmation junkie is like i'm addicted to people complimenting me and affirming me okay gotcha you know so i'm like an, a, an addict when it comes to affirmation i didn't realize that 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 was part of how god wired me was for influence. And so when you're a person of influence, you draw through your communication for people to acknowledge you, to recognize you, to lift you up, to praise you, to affirm you. Right. And so think about how easy it was for me now stepping into learning how to deal drugs, learning how to make money. And then now there's women getting involved. And then now everybody's upholding me like this really cool guy. You're the life of the party. Everybody wants Twan to come over and hang out. Like, I thought that was the coolest thing. So during this time, like, school, there's nothing cool about school. I'm going to be the coolest dope dealer that ever lived, you know? And so that's kind of like the beginning of me developing this false self-image of who I was, you see? And really at the end of at the, really at the, end of the day, that, that's what I struggled with most was I had a very poor self-image of how I saw myself. And I was never able, I wasn't able to communicate that with anyone. Because how do you communicate that? Right, right, right. So you were in the streets for? Uh, man, I, I've, been in, I've been in the streets just in and out. So starting from 16 all the way to the age of like maybe like 33, you know, I went in and out of prisons twice, you know, during that time. Uh, I've been in jail just several times there too. And everything was all based on the same thing, you know, drug trafficking. And, and you know, what was crazy though, I would never, one thing about me is I would never, I would never say that I had a drug problem because I always felt superior because I was the one dealing. dealing yeah. <laughs> right. But, but I was probably, I was probably using just as much as everybody I sold to the only difference was I was I felt like I was still maintaining my life. Mm -hmm. uh, someone mentioned uh, some some someone mentioned uh, the word being an ethical drug dealer. Yeah, you know, yep. so we find so we find so many ways, Melissa, to justify our conditions and remain perfectly okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so when it's, when I used to look, the, it's the hidden mask, right? So you know when when I would never like so just think about the word dope fiend, okay? Let's just be kind of just raw and transparent. When you say the word dope fiend, what do you think about when I say that? 
addiction right off well for me addiction like right and so you think of someone that, that's at a very low point in their life mm-hmm. right maybe homeless maybe robbing and stealing maybe someone that's just doing some things that they shouldn't be doing just to get their next high mm-hmm. like i was the one feeding these so-called people that i refer to as maybe dolphins but in reality was there any difference between me and them well not really because we were both caught up in the same type of struggle. The only thing that was different for me was I was a supplier and then I was just meeting a demand. And, but me having that image of being above them, it was so easy for me to stay in that place of never growing outside of that. Because in reality, that was my place of value. People needed me. And not only that, they upheld me, you know, in this stature. And, um, I remember, uh, I remember asking myself, like, why, why did I always come back to these environments? And the greatest illustration that I can think of is a chicken in a chicken coop. And just think about it. Every day that chicken would step outside of that chicken coop and he would look back and then he would look up and he would see all these eagles soaring, right? And so he started trying to flap his wings because he had wings or he had the appearance of being able to fly. And, and that was me. I was in that chicken coop. And every day as I, I stepped out, I started seeing all these eagles just soaring above me, flying high, people that were successful, people that were respected in their community. And since I only had the appearance of being able to fly, I just kept on looking back at that chicken coop. And so I wanted so bad to step outside, but I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I had the credentials. I didn't think I had the education. I, don't, I didn't think I had the, the proper grammar to be amongst eagles. And that was one of my biggest limiting beliefs. And I didn't know it was because I had a poor self-image. So I, I thought myself as a chicken, and that's all I was doing. I just kept on clucking. And I said, you know what? Hey, it's a lot safer going back to the chicken coop. Right. And that safe zone didn't allow you to um, develop out of that self-image. Nope. And guess what? Those chickens that so I hung out with um, didn't make it we, any we better. Oh, I'm that, sure they did. Let's go make some money. So I'm some sure taxes, they did it. Right? Um, um, so the only now, way we thought about you, making money that you mentioned that, day was, that you went in, go you got locked up twice. Open for so what was the first? Oh, what was the first offense for? Oh, what a really uh, smart idea! My first, my first offense yeah. was um. I mean, it wasn't the was, brightest uh, idea. A oh, bag of are, cocaine. We um we got know, high man. one day and um. Here we are. I was with one of my other friends and I thought it was cool. I was a seventeen year old. Seventeen years old. I ended up getting pulled over. I thought it would be really cool because someone called us We could get some money so I can go get some tattoos. Some cocaine and then so that was our mission that day so going to jail going on probation and then i just went down that just dark path of just in and out of jail then i went to prison at the age of 23 went to prison uh the first time didn't want to change i mean like i there was really nothing in me that wanted to change i i felt like i felt like i could do things better like i didn't really feel like I wasn't remorseful for what what happened in my life. Like I wasn't I wasn't concerned about all the people that I hurt my parents or nothing like that. I just thought that I made a mistake by messing with the wrong people. Mm. You're pointing was, the fingers to other people. 
yes, I, 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 blame, I was blaming other people on why I was there. So I never took responsibility. And in, in return, I sought out a better way to do things. So here I am in prison down in the valley where I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to meet some guy from the cartel down here. And I'm gonna get cocaine for like the <laughs> cheapest price. You're already, what, you're already scheming out your next plan. <laughs> absolutely, like yeah. And I, and I'm not the only one that does that. Oh no, of course not. I'm sure yeah. of it. So you just think about it. I mean, with my mindset like that, there was no room for change. And so I went, I got out, and only I probably lasted another two years. But I went right back to trying out trying out the same thing that I was doing. I was trying to be successful in dealing drugs and I still had that same self image that I never dealt with. So it always enabled me to go back to the same people, places and things because I love familiarity. That was my place of comfort. Right. Yeah. So at 24, you went back in. 24, I went to prison for the first time, got out, Stayed out till about maybe like I was 27. And then I was doing good and I got busted again. This time I was saving money. Uh, I was working. I didn't really party as much. So my mindset was a little bit different. I was more business minded. So, I mean, this is the process of entrepreneurship right here, right? So the great thing about entrepreneurs is this. Number one, especially convicted felons is number one, we like taking risk. Okay. okay. Two, we like stepping out of the box. And three, I love this. Listen to this. We are good at handling other people's valuables. Yeah. You, he- you hear that, listeners? <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you ever want to invest in a re-entrepreneur, that's what I mean. What I mean by that, it, it's a returning citizen that has been incarcerated. That's what you can expect from them. They're gonna take risks. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna step outside the box because they're very creative. And three, yes. they're good at handling your money. Right. All right. Right. Mm-hmm. I like um, it. It's. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. But I went. I went back to prison when I was um about twenty seven to twenty eight, and this time I was completely broken. You know. Uh, I told can myself sh- I would. Never- can you share with us why? Because one, I told myself I would never go back to prison. And uh, it was during a time in my life where I think through the power of all my mom's prayers, like God was doing something that I wasn't able to see. And so during my time of struggle, when I went back to prison this time, I was completely broken. Like God shut down every avenue that I had from the money that I had to just trying to fix things. I mean, I spent countless thousands of dollars on a a great lawyer that could not do anything for me because God was still at the end of the day, my judge. And so it didn't matter who he placed before me. Like at the end of the day, all the attempts I had on trying to fix my situation could not be fixed because I was completely broken. And until God you know, you know, shaped me into the image that he initially created me to be like, there was nothing I could do. And I found myself in a Harris County jail uh, during that time, just fighting over the phone and just trying to make things happen. And then one day I remember picking up this small little Bible and I actually it's, it's right here. 
And uh, you weren't kidding when when you said small guys. That is like three inches by five <laughs> index card. <laughs> really small. And look, it's it has tape all tape, over. It. Tape. Yeah, I was just yeah. gonna say. So that's your that's the original Bible. Right. And I picked it up and I had no idea what I was reading. I just knew that I had to do something different. And that night, as I was just on my knees, just, you know, I, yeah, I was shedding some tears. Okay, come on. Like, guys cry too. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I just cried out. I didn't know what to say. I just said, okay, I surrender my life to you, Lord. Amen. And, and that was it. It was just that simple. Like, I tried reading Psalms. And uh, it was kind of complicated, so I gave up. But I did know this, just surrender. So I surrendered my life to Jesus that night. And it was in December, I think, uh, close to around Christmas time. And then from that moment, God just started doing something in my life. Now, remember, I forgot to leave. I left this part out, but I was involved with a gang when I was in prison. So the crazy part was God always placed me in leadership everywhere I went. And what it was, was this was one of my spiritual gifts was I was born to lead. So I have communication, exhortation and leadership as one of my gifts. So here I am in prison leading a gang, predominantly Mexicans and a few white people. An Asian leading the Hispanics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trust me, they, there were some difficulties in that too. But why did why was I put in this position? I mean, how how's an Asian guy leading a predominantly Mexican gang with a few white people in there? And it was just simple. God had a plan for me. And so within that year, I got called into ministry by my chaplain. And so here I am, completely brand new believer. I'm a babe. All I knew is I had a heart to want to change. And I didn't know how to step outside of this game. So God just used me right where I was at. It wasn't a matter of just God saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to take you out of this game. No, I'm going to work with you right where you're at. And I'm going to mold you and shape you. And I'm going to use you to be a realm of influence for those guys right where they're at. So it wasn't a matter of just complete transformation where God says, hey, you know what? I'm going to separate you right now because you're better than them. No, I'm going to use you right where you're at. And there's going to be people that are going to oppose you, but stand firm. And so that's what I did. So here I am. I get called into ministry. And within about six months, I'm preaching my first sermon. Right? Whoa. Yeah, I'm preaching my first sermon. I've become very influential in the ministry. And so before, when our gangs used to meet up in the church, you know why they used to always go to church? Was to traffic and trade. Of course. Makes sense. And so that's all it was. So when people weren't really there to hear the gospel or hear the sermon, they were there to traffic and trade, whether it be drugs, whether it be uh, tobacco, whatever it was, that was their only way of just transferring things through that service. But when I stepped into ministry, now I get to lead. And so, you know, the coolest part was now where you have influence, where your homeboys, that's what we call them, are listening to you and they're respecting you because you're the man, you're the homeboy that's behind that pulpit now and you're saying, hey, let's make this place a place of worship. And all the trafficking and trading, let's cut it out. 
and people started to it. Put an end to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean that that was kind of the beginning. So I spent three years in ministry, uh, getting really discipled, really understanding what uh, my gifts were, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, after three years, I I felt like I was ready to take on take on the world. You know. So you were you were in for three years. Yeah, I was in for three years that time. You say that time. Well, I was in a total of 10 years through three times. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But that, that, that time was your last time. No, that was my second time. So I got another five-year stint coming. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, it was a process. I mean, uh, when I got out this time, walking with the Lord for three years, I felt that I was ready to take on the world. I really did. I felt so confident when I got out. I was in for such a big surprise because one thing that I wasn't taught was I wasn't taught leadership skills. Right. And and I hope the audience is with me. Even though I was placed in leadership, no one ever taught me leadership. Right. You didn't have somebody to role model. No, we didn't. And so I kind of learned by just bumping my head and in the process of me trying to lead, I wasn't able to develop any other leaders behind me. And the simple reason why is because I didn't know how to really invest in myself. I knew how to read the Bible. I know how to memorize scripture. I can memorize chapters. I know how to lead you to Christ, et cetera, et cetera. I know how to do a Bible study. I know how to preach. But when it came down to actually mentoring and actually transferring what God has placed inside me onto someone else where they could actually begin leading themselves. I didn't have those skills. So imagine when I stepped outside of prison this time where all I had was just a lot of biblical knowledge. I had faith, but just because I had faith, you fail to forget the world's not going to be seeing you for that. And so when I entered back into society, Here's one thing I had to struggle with. My parents were really ashamed that I went to prison. And so in our culture, they don't, they don't reveal these type of things. So what happened was my parents have been telling people that I've been away to college. I've been uh, working a job out of town. And so when I got out, here I am trying to just find a home church. And these were people that my parents knew. And I'm trying to live under this fabricated lie that they've been telling people. Mm. How did that make you feel? It was a, it was, it was very conflicting. You know, it's very conflicting because I, I felt like I wasn't valued where I was at. And I didn't know how to express that, you know? And so here I am just kind of just, just, trying to find my place. You know, I remember, you know, I got a pretty decent job working at a warehouse, you know, getting paid benefits and stuff like that. So it wasn't a job of like higher education or nothing like that. So here's what happened. I started placing my value now based on my job. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the biggest difficulties most men face when they get out is they place their value in the wrong things. So as I placed more value in my job and I started finding significance in my job, I started neglecting ministry and then now everything was based on the dollar Mm, monetary. Mm -hmm. Right. You 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 see, you started losing, losing the most important thing that 
that got you out of where you were. Absolutely. And I, I felt like I still had a, a fairly decent relationship with the Lord at that time because I was still ministering here and there, but I focused more on the value of my job. And what I realized was during that time where I kind of just started struggling again, I ended up getting fired from my job because I started missing out too many days because I kind of just started dibbing and dabbing and going out and partying just a little bit here and there thinking I can manage that lifestyle. But why did I go back again? It, it was the same thing. I still had a self image issue that I never dealt with. Right. But when I got fired, what God revealed to me when I got locked up this third time was you were focusing on the wrong thing. And since I placed so much value on my job, I didn't realize the value of my gift. You see what I'm saying? You, mm-hmm. you see where I'm going with it? Mm-hmm. And my gift is what makes me valuable. And I was never taught to hone in on your gift because I never understood what my gift was used for. I've always used my gift for all the wrong reasons. And when I went back to prison this third time for the same thing, but just more drugs this time, I got 16 years sentence down. And God began to cultivate me into leadership once again. But he showed me, he goes, in order for you to get discovered by the world, you have to be developed. See, I already discovered you before you were even created. That's what, amen. Yes, he did. You know, and uh, so I love that because, you know, in the, in the Bible, we, we often hear about King David. And uh, though he was raised as a shepherd, he was born to be a king. And so even though I was raised up to be a dope dealer based on my environment, I was born to be something else. You see, so it's not a matter of how you were raised. It's a matter of what were you born to be. Through those five years was the most fulfilling years of my life because in the dark room, God began cultivating me into becoming the image that he originally created me to be. A pure discovery within yourself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and it was the most uncomfortable feeling at times entering into that zone of discovery by stepping out of your comfort zone and uh, but once you found that authenticity once you had vision and clarity for your life like now if you were to ask me like what's the biggest difference is because I have confidence in who I am and I didn't have that before that's amazing Tuan I'm so happy to hear that because a self-image is something that we a lot of people suffer with, you know, and the the true discovery that you found in that time, um, in the right time also, because there are lots of wrong times in our lives, you know, and, and, and it's not when, um, it's not when we want it to happen. Also, it's when the guy above tells us it's going to happen and it's going to happen this way. So the many times that you got locked up, you, you weren't ready. You weren't ready to accept. And when you, when you got there, it all came to be. Absolutely. I once heard someone say that the greatest, the greatest ability is responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was locked up, Melissa, like, that was when I gave myself permission for once to say yes to my dream because I didn't have one. You know, and, I, and it, it's, sad, it's a sad reality because so many of us right now are, are, are living a life of just being mediocre and average is good enough for them. And so it's because they've spent 
all their lives just settling for less and then the dream that God has placed inside them that that vision will never take place because they never gave themselves permission to say yes and it might be out of fear of failure might be fear of success whatever it may be I realized in one of those defining moments where God showed me that your gift was here to solve a problem and you need to give yourself permission to say yes to your dream and allow me to work through you. And that was the biggest difference was I said, okay, I don't know what it's going to take, but I decided to say, yes, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the window of life right now and I'm going to place a bet and I'm not just going to place a small bet. I'm going to go all in here. Are all my chips, Lord, because I trust in what you placed inside me. And in order for you to use me to live a life of impact, you have to develop me in order to transfer the deposit that you place inside me. And it's all about legacy. It's all about legacy. What happens, what happens after you're gone out of this life? You know? How do you want to be remembered? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Now, te now tell me, uh, you said that you found you you wanted to you want to live you found out how to live your dream, and and the vision that God placed in you with that big bet that you that you gave to Him. Now, how are you doing that now? Okay, so living my dream is now just I'm driven behind the word impact. You know, I, I love telling people that I'm a transformational impact coach. And they're like, what is a transformational impact coach? Well, it's simple. I take you from trying to live this impressive life to living a life of impact. And how do you do that? It's simple. I tell people never chase success, but rather become a person of value. When Amen. Yes. Right. Yes. Become a person of value. Tell our listeners that again, please. Never chase success, but rather become a person of value when you become a person of value melissa the world comes chasing after you because they need you they see you as a problem solver and not a problem in all my life i was always the problem i was the victim of change and instead of being the catalyst for change i was always the problem and when i realized what my gift was for I started seeing the value in it. So I started investing more in my gifting and how to use it. I knew that I had a gift for communication. So what did I spend most of my time doing? Focus on your strengths. Focus on your strengths. You know what one of the sad realities is, Melissa, is most people don't, don't lack the ability because most people have it. But what most people lack is the ability to recognize other people's ability. And you see how powerful that is when you can recognize someone else's potential in their ability. And then now you encourage them according to that and not just motivating them in general. Right. You're, Be you're, you're leading and you're developing a leader. Yeah. So, I mean, and just, just through that, just through self-discovery, I started seeing clarity on my vision. I started seeing what is the problem that you are here to solve because you're here to solve a problem your gift was going to make room for you and it's used to minister and it's used to solve a problem in this generation, find that problem and become the solution. And so why did I go through 10 years of incarceration? There was a need there through that Valley. God began, began to give me a vision. 
And so he showed me that one of the missing elements in proper prison reform was leadership development. And I said, what? And I said, absolutely right. Because leadership development was the biggest game changer in my life today because I learned how to lead myself and then I learned how to develop leaders behind me. And that's where God showed me, he goes, you're going to be a speaker for the prisons. You're going to be a voice. And since then, I've launched a prison transformation initiative, which is my nonprofit, which is geared towards impacting prison culture through leadership and communication. So I've started that. And so I'm, I'm in the process of working and developing leadership programs through a lot of the John Maxwell resources that I have. I didn't mention that, but I, I decided to join the greatest leadership organization in the world through John Maxwell and his organization. And also since then, uh, man, I've launched my own speaking and coaching company uh, called Movement 21 Empowerment. And so I'm just really uh, living out my dream now of just being an entrepreneur and just living out my purpose. That is excellent. So now you are helping other members of the prison um, find their voice, right? Absolutely. Right. Amazing. Now, uh, what is the name of your um, your movement again? M21, which stands for Movement 21 Empowerment, LLC. Uh, I partnered up with April Holly. She's another dynamic uh, woman of faith. She has uh, overcome a lot of struggles too. So we had this idea, you know, roughly about maybe like eight months ago to start this movement. And the 21 signifies not only unity, but the 21 laws of empowerment. We just had this we just had this vision of, of just impacting the world through our stories. She has another crazy story, kind of like mine. And we just wanted to collaborate and join together and say, you know what? Through the power of our story, we can really make a difference because our pain is a passport. You know, our pain is a passport. And there's people with broken borders right now that are waiting for you to come in, not with being perfect, but coming in with authenticity. You know, coming in with saying, hey, I was broken just like you. I was incarcerated just like you. I was addicted just like you at the age of whatever. Let me enter into your border right now and let me be your tour guide. I can help you. And that's what, I mean, that was our vision back then. It was like, okay, let's, let's use our pain as a passport to make a difference. I love that. I love that. Tuan, it has been a pleasure having you on The Power Within today. And I will be putting all of those um, details about the N21 empowerment on our show notes so our listeners could see. And you are going to be the passport to many, many, many lives because there is a power in your story and there's a power in every, every listener that's listening here today. Thanks again for, for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. It's my honor. Episode of The Power Within, where your story can make an impact on another person's life. If you enjoyed what you heard, scroll down and leave me a raving review. Oh, yeah. And don't forget, if you're not subscribed, hit the button and do it now so you won't miss out on our weekly episodes.